We're continuing our podcast of North by Northwest with part two, the final chapter in one of the most critical spy movies ever made. Now we left off part one as Thornhill is about to head to Indiana to meet Kaplan, the meeting that Eve set up for Thornhill. So he just took the bus to Indiana from Chicago get off at Prairie Stop, Highway 41, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Now, one thing that I love is that they say this is going to be on Highway 41 on their way from Chicago to Indianapolis. Now, I have driven down Highway 41 a bunch of times. And in this next scene that you're setting up here, the, the crop duster scene, it was filmed in Bakersfield, California, but boy, did it have a feel of rural Indiana in there. It really, when I, I was really surprised when I saw they filmed that in Bakersfield Yeah, and not, in, not on highway 41. The, the next scene is fabulous. This is the crop duster scene. Everyone who's familiar with Hitchcock knows this scene. He gets off in the middle of nowhere. He gets off the bus, Thornhill. There's just dirt fields and one cornfield. A couple of cars pass that he thinks, Hey, this might be Kaplan. But they keep going. Then a car pulls up across the road and drops this guy off. He gets out, and he's standing on the other side of the road. We think, oh, maybe that's Kaplan. But wait. (laughs) We already know there's no Kaplan. (laughs) We already know there's no Kaplan. But we're still thinking, (laughs) I am. I'm looking at this like, could that be Kaplan? And and so we know. Man, there's no Kaplan. I know. We know Thornhill's thinking, okay, that, that might be Kaplan. So it's weird. And the stranger notices that the crop duster is dusting a field where there are no crops. And he says, oh, that's odd. And he tells him that. So, hey, now Thornhill's looking. He's like, yeah, okay, maybe he doesn't know much about crop dusters. He's from New York City, whatever. And the stranger gets on the bus and he leaves. Then the chase begins. This is fabulous. Thornhill sees the crop duster coming right at him, and he realizes it's not. It's trying to hit him. And the plane swoops down twice. And he's got to duck and dive in the dirt and rocks and everything else. He sees a car, and he tries to flag it down, but it keeps going as the crop duster circles back around and makes another swoop at him. Now, it's shooting a machine gun or something at him, too, right? You, yes, you there are bullets flying. That, that's so underplayed in this clip that you forget about that. But it looks like, oh, man, actually, they're shooting, they're shooting at him in addition to this. So it's kind of weird. So he runs into the cornfield to try to hide. It's the only place to hide. Everything else is just dirt, basically. And the crop duster, I love this, dusts the row he's in after a pass, and he's got to exit just to breathe. So brilliant scene, close-ups of his face when he's running, when he's running towards the camera. Brilliant stuff. That Yeah, when, just... you, when you think about Hitchcock camera angles and filming, oh. this scene is a classic example of how he shot stuff. Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous shots in this scene. So he, he tries to tr- stop a big old truck, a, a yeah. tanker truck. And, yeah, really. And, and he's, he's standing right in front of the truck in the middle of the road, and the truck's beeping. is like, oh, no. And he, he finally slams on his brakes and literally stops and just bumps Thornhill down. So it doesn't kill him or anything. And the, the, the panic is clear. The, the crop duster's making another circle. And this trucker is like, what the hell is going on here? And so he, he uh, so Thornhill's lying on the on the ground. He gets up 
the truck driver is like getting out of the car and all of a sudden the plane is swooping down and bam crashes into the tanker <laughs> truck and explodes yeah and they're right in front of him oh an explosion so a couple of other cars stop and look because it's like holy crap what's going on here so if you let you fast forward to 1963 from russia with love that's four years forward yeah this is absolutely where the helicopter chasing Bond in the truck on the way to the pier came from. I yeah, mean, I mean, remember when he's running up on that plateau and then he dives under that, that large rock yeah. and has to shoot the helicopter, but the helicopter's swooping down to try to get him? It really feels like this scene. It does. It's exactly, I mean, there's no question where it came from. And you actually tried to find that rock when you were in Scotland because they filmed it Yeah, Scotland. I found the plateau, but I never found yeah. the rock. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Anyway, he I, I mentioned this this a couple of cars stop and a, a car and a truck stop on the other side to see what was happening. Thornhill jumps in the truck and steals it, and he drives off. Now he's driving in the direction away from Chicago, but he ends up in Chicago. And well, after, yeah, but that that could have just been the way the road was, and he went down to the next exit and took a different way up or something. Yeah, I'm just saying he didn't turn around and go back the other way, which is logical because there was an explosion and a fire there. So, yeah, maybe he turned turned around. But he did head in the opposite direction. But he ends he ends up in Chicago and at the Ambassador East Hotel, which in Chicago, which they said was the next stop for Kaplan. Yeah, now, when I look at this, it looks to me, and again, it's, it was a dark scene, that, that there were some palm trees there. And if that's true, really? that's this, the Ambassador East scene, the exterior shot was not filmed in Chicago. I'm not positive about it. Yeah, right? see, I but looked at kinda... that shot, and I compared it to the shot uh, outside shots of the Ambassador East, and they were pretty similar. Oh, I mean, from 1959 to now, it's a little bit different, but windows and stuff like that. But it looked actually pretty close. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the place does exist. It's a 1301 North State. And you know, it's a real still, hotel, right? Yeah, real, real luxurious hotel here. So, anyway, he's, he's he goes into the hotel and he goes up to the counter. He tries to find Kaplan, and he finds out. Wait, Kaplan checked out. The guy tells him at seven ten this morning. He left a forwarding address, Rapid City, South Dakota, a hotel there. But now, Thornhill is suspicious. Wait a minute, he's thinking. How come I got a message from him at nine? Yeah, but where did he, how did he get that message? Eve. He got that Eve, from Eve. Eve, right? Yeah. He got it from Eve. And so now he's suspecting Eve. It's like, wait a minute. She got this message at 9, sent me out there, and this guy left at 7.10. So now we're wondering what the hell's going on here, too. He looks very concerned. He's got a great worried look on his face, and in that brief second shot, it's perfect you got to freeze frame that when you're watching the movie because his facial expression says everything. It sums up the entire scene. It's worth it. His mind is racing trying to figure this thing out, and he sees Eve in the lobby. She doesn't see him. She gets in the elevator. He watches Yeah, because, again, she was at the hotel thinking that he's yeah. went off and got killed. Yeah, right? I right. think that's true. Yep. She gets in the elevator. He watches it go up. It stops on the fourth floor. So then he goes to the clerk again at the desk, and he says, uh, he wanted to go to Eve Kendall's room. She's on the fourth floor. I forgot the number. And he gives her the number, 463. Yeah, there's no way they would give him that number yeah. today. Today, that's never happening. And 
So in, in the background, you can see a doorway with a sign above it, and it says the pump room. And this, this was indeed a very famous restaurant in Chicago where many celebrities went when they were in town and staying at the hotel. So it was kind of cool that this the pump room was in the background here. It, this restaurant opened in 1938. It was inspired by Booth Tarkington's novel, Monsieur Bocard, which was a watering hole, and this was a watering hole and a gambling spa in the in the story called the Grand Pump Room in Bath, England. So it's kind of cool. Booth one was where all the bigwigs sat when they came to the restaurant. And actually, the restaurant, restaurant later briefly was called Booth one, but now, sadly, it's closed permanently. So he goes up to her room, and she looks surprised to see him, but actually happy. It's kind of a slight... Wait, wait. Actually, I want to go back. So you talk about the fact that this is that, that restaurant's closed. Think about the Drake. Yeah. And so the Drake Hotel, which was referenced in The Born Identity, that yes. had that restaurant... Um, uh, Mission, Mission Impossible 1. I mean, Mission Impossible 1, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, right. They had... they had the, the Bible came from the Drake Hotel. Yes. And that had a, fa- a really famous restaurant too that's been closed. All these old, the old hotels are losing some of their yeah. charming restaurants. Yeah, it's a, it's it's sad. Anyway, he's in a room. She's kind of surprised he's there, and she does give this kind of smile. Surprised? Yes. Ah, uh, there's no getting rid of me, is there? <laughs> I love that line. She you tried to get rid of me. Now, now he's thinking, what the? So she hugs him. And they make a drink, uh, scotch with no ice, he has, I think. And how did it go today? <laughs> He's like, really? <laughs> what, the meeting with Kaplan? Uh, no, he didn't show up. Funny. So she's, she said, oh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> she's still going with this. She said, ah, maybe I copied it down wrong. Oh, no, you sent me to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says. That so, plane yeah. was waiting for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what are you going to do next? She uh, asks. Depends on you. She tells him, hey, we're not going to see each other anymore. So this is kind of like a cutting point here where things have changed. Number one, she probably doesn't think he's coming back. Number two, he is back. Number three, she's kind of happy. Number four, she's like, oh, I got to cut this out. So we're like, okay, great. She gets a phone call, and she's got to go to this place. She writes down the address on a, a pad of paper. She ditches... Thornhill, as his suit is being clean, because, you know, he was rolling around in all these fields trying not to get killed by the plane. So he figures out the address from the pad of paper that it's 1212 North Michigan Avenue. There are shots of Chicago buildings in the background as he exits a cab, supposedly going to 1212 North Michigan Avenue. The Prudential Building is in the background, which is a real building in Chicago. But we live here. And the shot of him getting out of the cab, which is looking north, they're not at 1212 North Michigan Avenue. They're way south of that. Well, they can't be at 1212 Michigan Avenue because, because that address doesn't exist. It does not exist. Right? Michigan Avenue actually stops. We just mentioned the Drake Hotel. Yeah. Again, that was used in Mission Impossible. It stops at 1000 North. Now, she's staying at the Ambassador, which is 1301 North State. Not, f- not so, that far, right? So there's not that far distance between... 1301 North State and where 1212 North Michigan Avenue would be. Yeah. If Michigan, if there wasn't a lake there. Yeah. So we always <laughs> like to see when they're making these shots because Tom and I we like to go visit actual film locations and we've been down to these corners and so on before. 
So we, we always like to compare. It's like, okay, there's a shot in the film. Is that a real shot or is that a fake shot or whatever? So anyway, th- this is uh, the background on that. Yeah, and, and so it's to me it was one of those details that would have been so easy to get right that I was surprised they got it wrong. Yeah. By putting an address that doesn't can't possibly exist. Yeah, or they don't really care. It's like, yeah, 1212, that's good enough. You know, what do yeah. they care if it's a real building or not? And there was a name of an auction house on the side of the building, and I, I couldn't make it out what it was. I was going to actually go look that up to see if there was a real auction house in 1959 anywhere in Chicago with that name, but I couldn't really make it out. <laughs> okay, that's how crazy we get. Okay. So Thornhill goes to the address, 1212 North Michigan Avenue, and that's where she is, and that's where Van Damme and Leonard are also. They're at an art auction, and Van Damme sees him, and he wants to get him, so he kind of positions his goons around the exits and stuff so they can get. So Van Damme is bidding on this one item that, that – Seemingly, he must get, and it's an Asian figure. And his goons are already at the doors to get Thornhill. And so he does outbid everybody for this item, and he gets it. So Thornhill now is cleverly creating a diversion. So he starts bidding on items with ridiculous bids, and he causes a ruckus. He bids a dollar. He's like, oh, whatever. And the auctioneer is getting mad at him. They finally make a phone call, and they're going to try to get rid of him, which is great because the other guys are waiting for him. So the police come and take him away, which is exactly what he wanted. So that was good. So a, You know, you want a good way to do an escape? That's a good way to do an escape, because you're not going to really get charged with anything. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, was, it was clever. And the, the professor was at the auction also observing. So that's the professor who's, you know, from the United States Intelligence Agency. So Thornhill tells the police. Yeah, actually, actually, before you get into that, so the, the thing I found interesting is, so in Octopussy, you've got the auction scene as well. Yeah, and Sotheby's, yeah. Yeah, and Bond bids up the value because he's like, this guy had to buy. Mm-hmm. So remember earlier we were talking about the fact, some differences with Bond was actually a spy. Thornhill's kind of thrust into this role. Yeah. And being very Bond, clever. Bond knew that, hey, I'm going to make him pay more for this. Thornhill wasn't there to do that. He was just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. But it was two really interesting auction sh- scenes in two different spy movies that were handled differently. But in the end, the bad guy had to buy whatever the good was. Yeah, yeah. And, and in this case, he wasn't bidding on, on, on the item that Van Damme was bidding on. He was started bidding on crazy items. Oh, no, not, no, no, that was, to, that was to get out of it. But I'm yeah, just saying one yeah. of the differences between the way the Bond thing was, was Bond was bidding on the item that Khan needed. Thornhill didn't have the foresight that Van Damme needed this. So, like you say, the bidding he was doing was yeah. to get himself kicked out, yes. acting kind of crazy. But just different ways to handle auctions, but two really interesting auction scenes in those two different movies. There's another one in the movie The Red Violin as well. There's an interesting auction scene with that. It's not a spy movie, but... Uh, uh, detective kind of a thing. Yeah. So anyway, the police, they take him out and he's in the car in the back seat again. And he tells the police who he is, that he's the guy on the, in the newspaper who they're after for killing Townsend. And of course they don't believe him, but they call it in and it's, and then the guy in the, who's driving sees the newspaper with his picture in there. And he's like, Oh, okay. So they make this call, 
and they're instructed not to take them to the police station, but to take them to the airport. So they're on the way to the airport, and of course you see a Northwest flight there that they're walking by. Well, anyway, who meets them at the airport? But the well, wait, wait, wait. You say there's a Northwest flight there. So first, the movie's North by Northwest. Yeah. They're yeah. going to get on a Northwest airplane, supposedly. Supposedly. And interestingly, it looks like the plane they're going to get on is actually a TWA plane. Yeah. But they're right? at the Northwest counter, ticket counter. I didn't notice that. All right. Yeah. So anyway, the head, the professor is there, and he's kind of now filling in Thornhill on what's really going on. And they're, they're walking, and Thornhill's asking him if he's with the CIA, FBI. That's when he says something like, yeah, it's all part of the alphabet soup. Uh, you know, he's from some someplace. <laughs> and, and they need to head to Rapid City, Mount Rushmore. Miss Kendall, he tells them, is... Van Damme's mistress. Van Damme's mistress? Okay, so there's more to this than we thought in the beginning. She actually was his mistress, or maybe still is. And Van Damme is an importer or exporter of sorts, he says, of government secrets. So, you know, Thornhill's saying, well, why didn't you grab him when you had a chance? And then, Yeah, really? The professor said, hey, there's still too much we don't know about his organization. Oh, man. This is Bond. This is Bond yeah, all over. Yeah, exactly. Right, right? Exactly. Years before Bond. I mean, the movies. So this is really a first in that there's an organization and apparently a larger one responsible for this guy Van Damme's actions. Well, but Dan, in the 39 Steps, there was that organization that was around the was, 39 Steps itself, right? Yeah. It, was, it seemed like a smaller one. This seems like a larger organization, very sophisticated, like, the professor saying they don't know much about the organization. So right. maybe it, it's small, maybe it's big, but it seems it just felt like, okay, this is a bigger thing. It's another organization they don't know anything about. They're trying to find more. Sounds kind of like Spectre, uh, Spectre or Quantum or something. So this Van Damme guy, he's got this place at Mount Rush, beautiful home, where they think he will leave the country that evening from right there. He's got a runway and everything there. So he's telling... Thornhill now, the professor, that, hey, there really is no such person as George Kaplan. They need Thornhill to continue to beat George Kaplan for the next 24 hours as part of the masquerade. And <laughs> I love this line. Thornhill looks at him another on the tarmac or whatever. He says, I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders dependent on me. I can't get slightly killed. So Cary Grant was on his third wife at the time he says this, which I really love because he had some, and I got two wives. At, in real had, life, in real life. Yeah, in real life, <laughs> Cary Grant did. So you wonder if, you know, they actually changed the line for filming or whatever, whatever it was. But the other thing is this line kind of reminds me of a line that the character Benji, played by Simon Pegg in the Mission Impossible series, mm-hmm. and even Ben Wishaw's Q, they're both like, hey, I've got, a, I've got other obligations. I, yeah, I can't true. do this or I might lose my job. In this case, he's saying I can't be slightly killed. But these, are, you know, in both of those, Benji and the Q characters in the more modern filmings really kind of have that. I can't, I've got this other stuff. I can't do this. Yeah. And, and you kind of see that parallel here. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so they're doing this. And now he reveals the big reveal. He's telling Thornhill that Eve Kendall 
is one of their agents, one of the professor's agents. And so her life now is at stake. So Well, wait, wait, wait. So we have a government agency using women to establish a relationship. Mm-hmm. Usually it'd be sexual. To win the graces of somebody. Well. Hmm. That really sounds like the main movie plot of the 2018 movie Red Sparrow. Yeah. I mean, that's really what Jennifer Lawrence's role really it, it was. Does, but in this case, Tom, really, the, the she was his mistress, Van Damme's mistress. And then the professor approached her and said. Oh, you, th- you think he turned her? You don't think she Oh, yeah. Part- no, absolutely. Uh, 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 oh, see, yeah, I, thought she, infil- I no, thought she infiltrated. No, 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 no. I, it's clear in the movie that she was the, the mistress. And Apparently not clear enough because I missed no, that. It, it is a little, it's a little fun. Maybe it's not crystal clear. But she she was his mistress and the professor, because she started thinking, oh, what's, he, what's this guy really up to? And maybe not liking that. And the professor's the one who recruited her, basically a double agent kind of, you know? Okay, so I've only watched this movie six times and I missed it both, all of them. I just, I just thought she that was, was my, maybe, I thought maybe she was I'm a assuming plant. that, but I, I think that's, I think that's the case. Oh, well, uh, then, then the Red Sparrow analogy doesn't really hold, but yeah. I, because I, I, right. I didn't see a point where she got turned. No, I, I, I don't think you see the point. It's, I think, I think it's implied in what, it, what the professor is is talking about here. All right, so this this is Tom. I'm going to interrupt this podcast for a second because this this conversation Dan and I hit, was driving me nuts. So I went back and looked it up, and he he is absolutely right there. She was his mistress, and then they turned her. You don't see her turning it. It happens before we actually get to the movie. So just we had the confusion. I wanted to clear that up. Yeah, but again, the 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 big picture is there. Here here's another woman who was on the bad side who's now turned to the good side and we've kind of seen that in one or two bond films <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> so i mean there there's a connection there that's like okay it's happening in 59 in the films and it will happen many more times so thornhill's thinking okay i might be part of the problem now because i'm i'm putting her life at in, at risk now so he's got to help and so he feels compelled to go and and he is Key question here again, and I, you know, still not clear. Does Eve know that Kaplan was a fake? And is she did when she sent Thornhill to Indiana to the cornfield? Did she know that she was sending him to his death? I'm still not clear on that, but I mean. Yeah, see, and I took I took that as she is. Okay, yeah, I I don't know, I I still have the key question. I'm I'm here all the way almost through the whole movie here, and I'm still still thinking, the hell, did she know that or not? And I'm still yeah, but but the but the way she looks when she sees him come back, and the way she looked when she left him. Yeah, we mentioned earlier she seemed a little despondent or whatever the right word is Mm -hmm. when he was leaving to go to Indiana. And like yeah, she's like, she oh, I'm gonna miss this guy. And then when he comes back, a total look of shock. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't expect to see you alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I mean, I, I kind of took it as the she she knew what her mission was and wasn't just like Bond, and doesn't let any of this kind of stuff get in the way. She did 
love him, and but was not going to listen. It's amazing how these people fall in love after like two days. Train ride. It's a train ride. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So Van Damme and Thornhill meet at the restaurant there at Mount Rushmore, and Thornhill tells him that he knows that he's leaving the night, and he knows where he's going, and all he wants is the girl, and he'll shut up. He won't stand in the way. I want the girl to get what's coming to her. So he was actually, <laughs> yeah, okay, he, he was actually trying to convince Van Dam that he's angry with this woman for getting him in trouble, whatever, or maybe setting him up to die, and that's what he's telling Van Dam. The girl is the deal. So leave her. Then Eve shows up and she says to Van Dam, I'm going back to the house. And Thornhill grabs her and she wants him to stop. She struggles a little bit. She pulls a gun out and shoots him twice. Of course, the professor is there observing and assisting after he's shot. They take him away in an ambulance as Van Dam and Leonard and and she escape and leave the restaurant. Now that was actually shot in the real restaurant at Mount Rushmore, they say. And so that was kind of cool. And you could see, yeah, yeah, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of people in the, in the background. You could see kind of scenes outside the windows and stuff like that. So that part was cool. They they shot that on location in Mount Rushmore. They actually wanted yeah, to so, do a lot more, but Yeah, so they they actually were told they couldn't film some of the stuff they were going to film on Mount Rushmore because I don't know it was National Parks or whoever told them that they couldn't film like the chase scenes and stuff there, which is why they had to build the set. Yeah. Because they didn't think somebody trying to kill somebody on top of a national monument was something that yeah. our government wanted to yeah, see. Yeah, they wanted to climb down the faces and it, it one I think scene they, they were going to have one of the, either one of the pursuers, or, or I think maybe even Eve and Thornhill hide in George Washington's nose or something. So yeah. They weren't too well, keen on that. So. Yeah, it sounds like another Alfred Hitchcock movie where a famous U.S. landmark was used as a set. I'm talking about the movie Saboteur. Uh-huh. Now, this this movie actually preceded North by Northwest. And in this one, a guy named Barry Kane is pursued from the west coast of the U.S. to the east coast. And he ends up at the Statue of Liberty in New York. Huh. And there's a fight scene there. Again, they couldn't film that there. They ended up having to build a set of the Statue of Liberty to be able to do that, much like they did here with Mount Rushmore in North by Northwest. So let's go ahead and continue on with the North by Northwest conversation here. Yeah, and it was interesting when you look at the documentary that came on the, the DVD set that I have, uh, they actually show... Eve talking about how when they're they're on this thing and it looks like she's falling off vertically down this down mm-hmm. this thing. She says, I'm on a forty five degree thing. It was actually hard to get myself to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, know. the other the other thing about this is when she shoots him when when Eve shoots Thornhill. Yeah. That, that just totally brought me back to You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Where James Bond had that faked death and he got he was with a woman she leaves a woman, she leaves, and then the police come in and shoot up the Bettys in, mm-hmm. and then we get that fake death there. It kind of had that. It kind of has that feel to me on there. 
Yeah. Now well, the other thing about even in this Secret scene, Agent though, when we did the podcast on yeah. Secret Agent, there's a fake death, right? The yeah, author is exactly. Death is faked, and he becomes Ashen Dead. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now we would be remiss if we didn't mention what I think is absolutely the best scene in a movie that has the concept of a fake death. I am, of course, referring to the ending of the movie The Sting. If you ah. haven't seen this, if you haven't seen The Sting, I'm sorry, I just gave it away. But that thing took this concept to a whole new level. I had my daughter watch this movie when she was a teenager, and she was just blown away by the ending of that thing. So it's definitely worth a look, but it's, to me, one of the best whole taking the concept of this fake death, shooting at somebody, having them go down. They just take it to the next level. It is a fabulous movie, and that is a great correlation. Now, the other thing about the scene that I love, and I mean, this is fairly widely known, but if you haven't watched for this, when (laughs) she takes out the gun and right before she shoots him, look behind her and there's a little boy at a table and he sticks his fingers in his ears. Yeah. Now this supposedly was like nine or 10 takes they took to get this shot. And the one they ended up choosing is this one where this kid sticks his fingers in his ears to dampen the noise. It just gets Uh, me every time I watch it. I'm actually looking at a still photo of that very scene right now. Yeah. And And (laughs) the guy's got little kids got his hands, his fingers in his ears. It, yeah, for, the first time I watched it, I didn't notice it. But then when yeah. I heard about that and I watched it again, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to see that every time. Yeah, now. and it's before the first shot. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of cool. Anyway, they did some filming around Mount Rushmore, and I think that's probably the only thing, right? They, the car scene yeah. after, well, well, we'll get to that. But I, I they, had, they had some exterior shots of Mount Rushmore when they were standing down by the yeah. observation the establishing deck. shots they, of the real place yeah. yeah yeah and then inside the restaurant but then the rest of that and the woods and everything were done in studio yeah so you know, he dragged away put away in the ambulance and, and they drive off and we find out in a moment he's okay and the gun contained blanks Woo! all right that's good it's a nice setup eve is in the woods where they stop with the ambulance and they talk and they kind of apologize to each other uh she fell in love with van damme and then this is where I'm saying it again. The professor approached her about becoming an agent for them and told her about Van Damme. I think this is where she says it. And and so she needs to head back to the house, though, for the for Van Damme so before he gets suspicious. So Thornhill doesn't know that the professor planned that she is going to leave with him, with, the, with, with Van Damme, that night. So Thornhill was thinking, okay, get her to the house, do that, go you know, arrest the guy, and whew, we'll be done. She'll be safe. I'll be safe. Everything's over. But no, uh, Thornhill is pissed off that he, he basically was lied to by the professor. And he tries to stop her from leaving, but he gets hit by the professor's officer. So they couldn't let him screw up the plan. So the professor brings Thornhill a noose. It looks like he's in a hospital room or something. I don't know if it's really a hospital Yeah, I think, I think they fake when you know, they faked the death, they brought the ambulance. Yeah, okay. They stopped in the woods. He talked to Eve, and I think they brought the ambulance to the hospital yeah. to make it look good. Yeah, although I don't know how he gets a room at the hospital for a dead man. But anyway, <laughs> he's, he's there, and he I think he asks the professor, hey, go get some liquor or something, uh, bourbon. Yeah, that's that's what he says. And so the professor does. He locks the door, though. But Thornhill climbs out and escapes through the window. 
And this is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. He ends up in that female patient's room. Ah, yeah, that was actress Patricia Cutts, who was uncredited for this. Oh, that's right. And it's <laughs> it's a really, really short scene. It is. And so he cuts, he, he climbs in through her window, and she's sitting here, she doesn't have her glasses on, and he comes through and she puts her, her glasses on, and she only utters one word, but she says it twice. Uh-huh. And the first time is in horror, and the second time is kind of like, come here. And yeah. Roger's reaction is wonderful. Now, this came out before Dr. No, but I think Roger's sex appeal here to women carries over to the Bond series. It's a quick little thing, but his sex appeal, this woman wanted him. Yeah, well, and what's the word? The word is stop, right? Stop, yeah, yeah. it's stop. She, so she says something like, stop! Stop. And then she sees him, and she and says, says something stop. like, stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So I, I, I that, was good. Looked, that was a nice little bit of, uh, uh, again, comic relief. In but the also kind of was like a precursor to James Bond. Yeah, but I mean, right. they, you know, in, the stuff was written already that he was kind of a womanizer and everything in yeah. the novels. But I mean, how many times have we seen this type of thing in Bond movies? In oh, Octopussy, yeah. for example, right? The clerk who shows him to his room asks if there's anything at all that she could do. <laughs> anything at all. And Bond says, maybe later. And they're looking <laughs> at each other. Yeah, they're looking at each other like, hmm. And He's even, such a devil. Even in The Spy Who Loved Me, when he checks into the hotel in Sardinia, Italy, the hotel clerk, as he's walking away, is like looking him up and down. It's like, oh, man, okay. And then in Thunderball, in the pre-title sequence in Thunderball, at the end of Jacques Bouvier's funeral, French-British Secret Service contact in France, who's a woman, says to Bond as she's looking him up and down, is there anything else our French station could do for you? <laughs> And he looks at her and says something similar to what he just said before. And he says, later, perhaps. <laughs> and he's looking at her. It's like, okay. So this has happened a lot in Bond yep. movies. And you actually had a similar thing to this in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he's running across the yard and stops for these two women. who. Oh, are yeah, yeah. I kind of remember so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's, a, it's a common trope. All right. We're coming to the end of the movie. So Thornhill is at Mount Rushmore now, and he's trying to track Van Damme because now he doesn't want he, – he's escaped from the professor. So he's kind of on his own now, and he, he wants to save Eve. He doesn't want her leaving with Van Damme that night. So he knows Van Damme's exiting the country and heading overseas. Anyway, Thornhill on his own and against the professor's wish is doing this solo outside of Van Damme's house where Eve is. So he's crawling around outside this house. Now, supposedly... So he's become a rogue agent. Yeah, what a concept. (laughs) He's not really an agent, though. So, okay, we got to give that little leeway there. But it was rumored that this was the Frank Lloyd Wright house called Falling Waters in Pennsylvania. It looked like that house, but it was really a painting. Ah, okay. And actually, all the interior stuff was uh, a set. Yeah. So, well, the exterior was a set, too. Yeah. Anyway, it, it wasn't a, a Frank Lloyd Wright house, as it turns out. But this is pretty bold for an advertising exec. <laughs> Maybe it's love, and that's taking over, and he's, oh, I just got to go save her now, and I don't care what the risks are or dangers. He knows Van Damme's a mean son of a bitch, 
anyway, he's got a, a short time to stop Eve from escaping or leaving with Van Damme. So he's looking, and he's looking up on the window, and he sees Eve in the window preparing to leave, and it, like in her bedroom. And so he's, <laughs> he starts throwing rocks at the window, kind of like Ernest T. Bass in the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, Boom. exactly. <laughs> he's like, Phew. Like what? I just wait, waiting for one of those windows to break when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember back at the auction, Van Damme purchased this Asian figure. Well, we find out that there's a reason. It contains microfilm. And so he's he's selling secrets, as the professor said, government secrets and, and country secrets. Mm, this is how they were doing it. Leonard, Van Damme's assistant, played by Martin Landau again, he's now becoming suspicious of Eve. So Leonard approaches Van Damme, and he shoots him. But then Leonard discloses to Van Damme, this is the same gun that she shot Thornhill with, who they all thought were dead or seriously wounded. And it was full of blanks. And Leonard says it was her gun. He found it in her luggage. Oh, Van Damme <laughs> can't believe this. You know, this is her his mistress for whatever number of months, years, whatever. We don't know. But... Wow. So he, he his reaction is he punches Leonard. And he's Van Damme does? Yeah. Van Damme okay. punches Leonard. Leonard tells him, This is an old Gestapo trick. Shoot one of your own to show you're not one of them. They just freshened it up a bit <laughs> with the blanks, you know. Yeah. It's like, who? So anyway, after he gets punched, it's almost time to leave. Len Leonard does not want her to go. So Van Damme says he believes in neatness too. This is a scary part. Van Damme all of a sudden now is instantly turned on Eve. Boom. Whatever she was to him, his lover, his mistress, whatever. She's dead to him. She's Yeah, she's dead to him. He believes in, he says, I believe in neatness too. And this is best taken care of at great height over water because Leonard didn't want her to go with. He's like, no, we're going to take her up in the plane basically and throw her out. Whoa. All right. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. All right. He's a bastard. So... Thornhill is overhearing this. He's in the house, and he's overhearing this. Or is he in the house? No, I think he's just overhearing it. Thornhill is near a window, I, I think. I don't, over, yeah, over, he's by over, a window. I don't remember he, if he's in the house. Yeah, yeah he was upstairs, I thought. No, I think he's upstairs later. I think he's near a window at this point overhearing this, so this is not good. And now he's definitely compelled to do something, or she's dead. He knows they're going to kill her. So Thornhill climbs to her window, and he enters her room. And just as she's turning out the lights and, and, and she exits the room, he gets into it. So he writes a note on his matchbook. Remember the matchbook from the train with his initials? R-O-T. Yeah. He writes in, his, in the matchbook, they are on to you. I'm in your room. In the meantime, the plane lands. And they're having drinks as Thornhill watches from above. So he's like on a balcony almost overlooking the... He's on a balcony overlooking the big family room thing down there with the fireplace and everything else and where Eve is and where Van Damme and Leonard are waiting for the plane. And he throws the matchbook down onto the floor to try to get her attention. And for a moment, again, another Hitchcock moment, Leonard sees it first. Yeah, he's, that's great. He didn't see that's... it falling. He just sees it on the floor near the coffee table where she's sitting on the couch. And he stoops down to pick it up and we're all going... Ah, now what? Yeah, really? And he throws it into the ashtray on the table and walks away. He's like, oh, okay. So now she picks it up. She knows now 
she sees the initials. So she opens it up and reads the note. So now she knows they're onto her. And so she goes up to her room, I forgot my earrings or something. And she talks to him for a moment. And he's like, don't get on that plane. And she knows to keep the front up, she has to. So Leonard and Van Damme and Eve leave. And the housekeeper's left there. And she's in on this whole thing with Van Damme. And Van Damme tells her, hey, you'll be over the Canadian border by morning or whatever, you and your husband, whatever. So she starts to clean up. And she sees in the television screen a reflection of Thornhill up on the balcony. And he's like, oh. Now, here we go with the reflections, right? How many times in James Bond films? Yeah, I like the and, reflection in and the Mission eye Impossible. One. Goldfinger. Right? Yeah, the reflection in the eye in the, in the pre-title sequence in Goldfinger. And you see it a few other, in, in a few other Bond movies. Like also in um, Octopussy, there's that scene on that circus train where one of the knife-throwing twins... I don't remember if it was Mishka or Grishka. Yeah, I can't tell them apart. Yeah. They're twins. <laughs> anyway, he's on the train, and he's looking at that piece of jewelry, that thing they called the Romanov Star. Mm. And he looks in there, and he sees Bond's reflection. Yeah, it's a great technique. You see it in Mission Impossible. The use of the reflection to let the person who's got to do something know that something's up. Yeah. So this happened. So she disappears for a moment, comes back while he's coming down the stairs and she's got a gun. Say where you are. So we're looking, it's like, oh man. As soon as the plane leaves, my husband and Mr. Leonard will be back. So again, in true Hitchcock fashion, the plane is landing. It's a gorgeous set with runway lights and everything. Close up of Eve's face, constant close up of her looking over her right shoulder back at the house as they're walking towards the plane. She knows I'm dead if I get on that plane. What's going to happen here? And she keeps looking. And the tension is brilliant in this, maybe it's 30, 40 seconds. I don't even know if it's that long. It's terrific. The music, everything is perfectly synced to create more and more tension here. Great directing, of course, Hitchcock. I mean, remember Hitchcock once said, it's like, I just want to scare the hell out of people. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. He did a pretty good job of that. Yep. <laughs> so... In a flash, you hear shots in the house. But then Thornhill comes running out. He gets, I'm amazed how fast he gets down and gets to this car. I'm a, yeah, I'm amazed he gets in the car in like maybe a millisecond. But Yeah, it, it was fast. <laughs> it's, it, he is fast. Anyway, he, he comes running out. He gets in the car. She grabs the statue out of Van Damme's hands with the microfilm, of course. And she runs towards the car with Leonard in pursuit. In the, in the dark in the car... Thornhill tells her it took him five minutes to figure out the gun was the same silly gun of yours, <laughs> or the blanks. So they're escaping. Hey, all right, finally, boom, an escape. <laughs> kind, kind of like Bond movies when, hey, it's, it's done. They're getting out of here. Uh, now, of course, no. There's no simple escapes in Hitchcock movies or Bond films. There's just none. The gate is locked. It's blocked. They can't get out with the car. They must exit the car, and they're running. Now they're running, and they realize... Hey, we're on top of Mount Rushmore. This is not going to be just a run in the park, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're being pursued. So now they're climbing down the monument, across the heads. And, and, and these guys, Leonard's after her. The goons are after her, I, I think. Licht and Val Valerian. Valerian and Licht, yeah. They're, yeah. they're after They're after them. 
And so they're they're doing their best to to escape and get away. And she's slipping. They're slipping. She still has high heels on it at, at the time. I think at the moment. And all of this is going on. So first, out of nowhere, he proposes basically to her. <laughs> and then when they, I love this too, when when asked what happened to your first two wives, he says they divorced me because I had too dull a life. Okay, yeah. that's a good line. That's, a, that's nice a good line, yeah. Comic relief at a moment where it's tense again and they're being chased and pursued. Oh, they might be, they might get caught. So this goes on and on. The pursuit is pretty long on there. And the moonlight, oh, the setting is great. Again, the set of the Mount Rushmore, it was a set. They reproduced the, the figures, the faces, and all that. And like we've seen in other movies, like in Octopussy, just before Khan crashes the plane and Bond and Octopussy jump out, she's dangling from a cliff. Yeah, very, very similar feel. Yeah. So back to North by Northwest, one of the original goons knocks down Thornhill and he has a knife and he's trying to stab Thornhill with a knife. Like, you know, a gun would have come in handy at that point uh, the, yeah, with a goon, really. you know. it's like Yeah, but it would have had blanks in it. What a knife. Come on. A knife. No. Anyway, he gets the better of him and he throws him over the... The Thornhill throws the goon, goon over the cliff, and but now Leonard's caught up to Eve, and he rips the statue out of her hand. I mean, they're running around with this statue trying to climb. <laughs> this is another thing that gets me out. You're you're trying to climb up and down these faces on Mount Rushmore, and you got this statue in your hands. I mean, you know, maybe you throw it over like the ATAC or something, and you smash it into a million pieces or whatever. Of course, the film's in there. And they want to see what that well, is. Well, that's so, that's that's the MacGuffin, right? Yeah. Is this what they're pursuing? Yeah, and we don't know what it is, really, what's on the film. Well, that's the classic MacGuffin. You yeah. don't really know what it is, but it's something that must be pursued. Yeah, it's great. So she's, of course, left dangling. There has to be this. She's left dangling from a precipice, kind of over a cliff, basically ready to fall. Thorn Thornhill is trying to grab her and pull her up, but he's having trouble doing it, and... Leonard's standing there watching this. And so he, he turns to Leonard. And he's like, can you help me? And for a moment, you think, all right, maybe Leonard is going gonna, is gonna to turn to the good here. So he walks over, and you, and you think that. Instead, he steps on Thornhill's hands. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's a, I'm just a ruthless bastard. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah, you're not winning me over. And you, you know he's going to have to let go. But before he lets go... Boom. A shot is fired, and Leonard falls over. The statue falls and breaks. The film, microfilm, comes out, and and we see it for the first time. And Van Damme is up on the top where one of the officers shot Leonard from above. And Van Damme is, is caught with them, and he's with them, I mean, with the police. And he says, I wasn't very sporting using real bullets. <laughs> it's like, okay. So there's more and more tension here, and he's trying to pull her up still, and he finally does pull her up, and the scene now cuts, because now I think it is over, right? The scene now cuts to him pulling her up, and when she's all the way up, they're in the upper berth on a train, and he says, you can make it, Mrs. Thornhill. So, boom. Nice uh, back ending. to the train scene at the beginning. Yeah, nice you know, close, a full circle close on the train. And then they get away with a little bit there as... Yeah, wait, before you say what this is. <laughs> so the writer of this 
Yeah. Ernest Lehman. He he he's he does a voiceover on the uh, on the DVD set I got. Yeah. He says what you're going to talk about next. He didn't write, but he's really mad he wasn't the one to write it. Yeah. So go but, ahead and tell him about how it ends. And I think the 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 censors may not have either been aware of it or didn't know it was going to be put in because I think they did put it in at the very end of this thing. Not that it's at the end of the movie. Of course, it's the end of the movie. But I'm saying as a last thought to throw this thing in. So they're up in the upper berth. Yeah, you could make it, Mrs. Thornhill. And the train lunges and zooms into the tunnel. <laughs> hmm, what could that be an implication of? <laughs> some people think there's some kind of hidden meaning in that. Oh, it's not just a train going into a tunnel? <laughs> anyway. Oh, they're married. they're married now. Yeah. Anyway, that wraps up the movie. And that wraps up our treatment of North by Northwest. All right, as Dan said, we just wrapped up that movie, but during the time right now, you know, we're we're recording this during all of the stay-at-home stuff from the coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, we hope you're all staying safe, but now's a really good time. If you're stuck at the house, all of these spy movies, a lot of them are available online for streaming. You can take a look at them, especially some of these old ones that you may not have seen before or you haven't seen in a lot of years. Catch up with them again. We're going to keep talking about these things as we go forward. So stay with us as to the movies we're doing. Yeah, so watch a few movies, listen to a few podcasts, and have a little fun. Try to stay safe. So that wraps up today's show. This has been Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. SpyMovieNavigator.com. Continue to join us as we continue to crack the code of spy movies. 